three things we're focusing on this upcoming year uh, for 2022 is we feel called to reach more people with the good news of Jesus. Uh, that includes continue to invest in what we're doing via our online stream. Uh, we had this year already, we've had over, uh, t- people stream, have streamed our Catalyst services in over 25 different countries. Come on. So thank you for sharing it with your family members and friends who are in other countries uh, who are in different time zones. So this isn't an 11.15 service for some of you. It's like an 8.15 at night. So welcome. Um, but also here in the Washington area, uh, you know, our desire long-term is to have permanency here in Bethesda as a church. We can have a building and not just have a church service, but bless a community every day of the week. Um, and also future locations as a church. Um, and then we want to develop all generations at Catalyst. Um, I shared this a few weeks ago, but the statistic that with every generation, there are less and less people following Christ. We want to do our part to reverse that trend. Uh, we believe that Jesus still is the hope of the world. Uh, we're not here doing anything else. Just in case you don't know, this isn't a self-help message. This isn't a five steps to your better life. This is that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the hope of the world, and we gather on Sunday mornings to worship him. Uh, that's why we're here, and we still believe he is the hope. And we want to do our part for our kids' ministry and our student ministry, which I want to thank God for our kids and student team uh, who have a passion to teach our young people about Jesus, uh, what they're learning about right now which is exciting. Um, and then lastly, we want to make a greater difference out the Washington, D.C. area and beyond. This is through our serve days, through our partnerships, both locally, nationally, and internationally, uh, supporting uh, missions organizations, supporting local nonprofits who are helping those who are hurting, helping those who are in need uh, here in Montgomery County, D.C., and around the world. With that said, I want to dive in today to our second installment of Beyond. If you missed last week, you can catch it on our YouTube channel or our podcast. And uh, part two today, I've entitled today's uh, message, A Life That God Rewards. And Hebrews eleven sixteen 16 is our foundational passage of this series. And I'm going to read the first part of the, 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 message, of the verse. It says, but they, uh, and this they is referring to the men and women listed in the hall of faith. It's kind of commonly known, Hebrews chapter 11, men and women who've had uh, made a significant difference uh, for the faith are listed, like David and Abraham and Sarah and Esther. Um, And it says, they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland, something beyond this world. That's why this series is called Beyond. You know, I've said this before, but there are passages of Scripture. There are messages we'll teach here at Catalyst. There are series that we'll cover that will give guidance for the here and now. Uh, We just did that with our It's Complicated series. It's on relationships. We believe God does care about how we manage our relationships and the things here and now. But here's what's also truth. The Bible says that we are actually foreigners on earth, that our home is in heaven. The brother of Jesus, James, said, your life is but a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. So here's the reality. The majority of your life will not be here on earth. It'll be in eternity. And when you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, as we had this morning, several people here make that decision, you'll have eternity with him in heaven. But when we face, when we get out on the other side of eternity in our life, there's two judgments each of us will face. There's the great white throne judgment, which is what did you do with Jesus? Did you believe that Jesus was the Son of God? And if you do, and if you have that faith in Christ, you'll have eternity with him in heaven. Let me say this, 
We're also passionate about reaching people with the good news of Jesus because to talk about heaven is also the reality is that there is a hell. And we are passionate about bankrupting hell in Jesus' name so people can find hope in Jesus. So, so, so there's that, but then there's the judgment seat of Christ. These, you can read them in, in the scriptures. We're actually going to share some scripture on the judgment seat of Christ. You actually stand before King Jesus, and, he'll, and you'll have to give an account for what did you do on this earth with what you had. How did you invest it for his kingdom? In fact, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says this in the scripture, that everything on this earth, that does not impact eternity will be burned up. But only that, which was for eternity, will last. So we'll give an account to God. And so this series, this message, is about that moment in your eternal life. About when you stand before God, that you can live a life that God can reward. Because, because as followers of Christ, we will all enter heaven. But depending on what we did with our life here on earth, will determine what rewards we receive in heaven. In the same way there's different socioeconomic statuses on earth, there'll be different levels of rewards in heaven. And it'll be dependent upon what you did with the life that you had here. So I want to direct our focus to eternity. I want us to focus on those moments, that moment that we're going to have. And today, we're going to look at the words of Jesus and what he has to say um, about this idea of storing up treasures in heaven. But first, let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We get to come before you, God, and worship you. We get to open your word. We pray that you would speak to us today. Father, we open our hearts and our minds to receive from you. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew 6, verse 19, we're going to start. Uh, and it says this. These are the words of Jesus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. But the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, and your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, that you will eat or drink, about the body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Verse 33, he concludes the passage of saying this, but seek first the kingdom, the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, 15% of Jesus' teachings were actually about money and possessions. He spoke more about money and possessions than heaven or hell. 16 of his 38 parables were about money and possessions. How many believe Jesus cares about your money and possessions? Now, some of you already got uncomfortable, and you're wondering, where's the door? Please, someone help. <laughs> but it would be unfaithful of me as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to not talk about money and possessions because Jesus cares a lot about what we do with our money and our possessions. And he says you cannot serve both two masters. This moment, this passage was a part of a bigger sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus and I'm going to draw out three points from this passage that he speaks about, this idea of storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And uh, yeah, let's first start. First is this, uh, is that we have to first, to, to, to live a life that God rewards, we have to safeguard our life from greed. See, in this moment where he says, if you store up treasures for yourselves on earth, uh, what was common then was that 
moth and vermin would commonly destroy, especially any linens, any, any cottons, any, any clothing would be destroyed. So when he was saying that moth and vermin destroy, it was very much, people were aware of that. And he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and vermin destroy. Uh, one scholar said that in this moment, Jesus was saying to invest your life and to build up earthly fortune is foolish, is what he was saying here in this moment. You know, what, what Jesus was speaking to is a term that we see throughout the Old and New Testament is the term greed. And I did an entire message around that topic in the summertime. We won't go into that, that in depth as I did then, but, but that word greed in the original Greek, it simply means this, to have an insatiable desire for more. And how many of you know that's the cultural gospel of the culture we live in, isn't it? Like more is better, right? If you have five zeros behind your salary, six zeros are better, <laughs> If you have one master, come on, two masters are better. Come on, one dessert is good, but how many of you know two slices of pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving is better? That is true. Okay. How many know one child is good, but two children are? If you're like, I don't know about that, Pastor. I got two kids. I thought it'd be better, but I'm going crazy. But we all know this, the cultural gospel and the narrative that more is better. Have you experienced this? Have you experienced this? Where you thought, man, when I get to this place, then I'll be satisfied. And then you get to that place and you want more. Like anybody else, like the salary you make now, you thought five years ago if you made that salary, you'd be good. And you ain't good. Man, you thought when I complete my graduate program, then I'll be good. You're two years in. You're not good. Can I help somebody out? The cultural gospel of more is better is not gospel. It's false. It's destructive. And it leads people in our culture, listen to me, to be burned out, exhausted, anxiety-filled, and addicted. We have more than ever before, and culturally, we have more anxiety than ever before. It ain't working. It's not working. I'm not speaking about clinical anxiety. I'm speaking about cultural anxiety that exists in our culture. So, so this gospel that more is better does not work, and Jesus confronts it. He says it's foolish because he knows it will end up leading to more destruction than benefit. Paul, speaking to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9, what was happening in this moment was that there were other church leaders who were getting distracted by seeking wealth. And he cautions young Timothy. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and attract into many foolish and harmful desires and plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves in many griefs. Please note this. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Let me be clear. God has no problem with you being wealthy, with you having two cars, with you having a great home and a vacation home. He's got no problem with you having money. He's got a big problem with money having you because he knows it will destroy you. How many know Jesus, he's not scared by money. He just hurts by what money does to us when we love it when we are pursuing it, when we are, have that insatiable desire for more. 
Paul says it's a trap. That word trap, the word picture, is a bird snare. Imagine a bird flying along, trapped. Next thing you know, just waiting for a predator to come. That predator will destroy it. It's the same way Paul's saying, out of nowhere, you get trapped. Next thing you know, you're wandering from the faith. Have you ever experienced, have you ever seen this? Um, it's like on a, I've seen it on an Instagram reel. It's like a TikTok trend. Um, not that I know much about TikTok at all. But follow me at, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but they'll put a dog, like a dog under, put a dog in the middle. Have you seen this? And they'll be like a, a husband and wife, and they'll go the opposite direction. And they'll see which one the dog goes to. That's cool, by the way, but it's different. Some people do it to their kids, and I'm like, mm, they probably need therapy for that later because of what you're doing. It's all cool now. You're on TikTok. Get those likes. Pay for the therapy later. Um, <laughs> you know it's true. But how many of you know when the dog runs towards the mom, he gets further from the dad? And Jesus is saying, listen, you can't pursue both because if you go after one, you'll get further from the other. So if you try to pursue money and Jesus, you just get further from me when you do so. So Paul says it's a trap, and I was thinking of a trap. I was reminded recently, I mentioned about a month ago, or Christina mentioned it, that we had laid down grass seed, and to lay down grass seed, you have to aerate your lawn. So they take these like blades and they tear up your lawn and they get all these weeds. So here's what we learn. When you tear up your lawn, you disrupt those who live underground, i.e. bugs. So all these bugs were coming up. They were like, what in the world? Who is disrupting our sleep, all right? Like, and all of a sudden, our entryway of our house were filled with ants, like several hundred ants. It was like this like, infestation. We're like, what in the world? So I like, went to like, ordered these um, little ant traps, but they weren't doing anything, so I called pest control. So he comes out, and he puts his gel on the perimeter of our house, right in the doorway, and then he puts his gel on the inside, and he said, do you have any young children? I said, well, yeah, I have a three-year-old. He said, well, be careful because this gel smells sweet and it tastes sweet. He said, you got to be careful. I said, you got to be careful about me. I like things that smell sweet and taste sweet. You know what I'm saying? Your boy at night, I like a little, a little sweet. Mental note. And so literally he said, what happens is these ants, they think what smells sweet and tastes sweet will satisfy them. So they eat the gel. They even take some gel back with them to their colony. And it poisons their entire colony. I said, I like you. Poison them all, <laughs> right? Sure enough, two days, no ants. Completely gone. From hundreds to none. Their insatiable desire for more killed them all off. And this one, Paul's saying, greed, this desire for more, more success, more degree. If, you, if that's the focus, it will destroy you in the same way a trap. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, Jeremy, this is great, but this doesn't apply to me. Just listen to the words of Tim Keller, an author, pastor, says this. He says, Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex, and almost no one thinks they're guilty of it. Therefore, we should all begin with the working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. If greed hides itself so deeply, no one should be confident that's not a problem for them. There's three ways that greed brings destruction upon our lives that the Bible speaks to. Here's the first one, is that greed distracts us from our purpose. 
Jesus in verse 25 says, do not worry about your life. He kind of equates this idea of being consumed with storing up treasures on earth and worry. That word worry literally means, it's the same word for anxiety in the New Testament. And that means to divide or distract. In that moment, he's saying, listen, if you consume yourself with earthly possessions, you will end up being distracted from your actual purpose. That you're going to be consumed with the more. Again, please hear this. The more is not bad. It's the pursuit of it in place of your pursuit of God. And he says it actually will distract you from other things. You know, uh, the number one cause of stress found by the American Psychological Association in 2021 and anxiety in Americans is, in, in, in Americans is money. 54% of Americans says money is their number one source of stress. Have you ever noticed this where you kind of, maybe in, in this distraction that Jesus speaks about, have you ever experienced this that all of a sudden maybe you, you move into a new home and the next thing you know you're worrying about that hot water heater or you're thinking about a, the next home or you get that new car? Why? Because, because it distracts. And next thing we know we get consumed with the, the more. And that's what he's saying here in this moment, that be careful that all of a sudden it's not consuming your, your mind. It's like the prophet Christopher Wallace, uh, a.k.a. the notorious B.I.G. said, it's like the more money I come across, the more problems I see. Some of you don't know who Christopher Wallace is. Rest in peace. Don't look him up, okay? That was my life before Jesus. Okay, I'm not going to quote the Ready to Die album. It's the only word. Again, money isn't the issue. It's, it's the pursuit of it. it gets us distracted. It gets us, and all of a sudden we can see more problems. So it, it distracts us from our purpose. Secondly, it destroys our lives. Proverbs 15:27. the author says, The greedy bring ruin to their households, but the one who hates bribes will live. He was referring to judges who were taking bribes and cases, and they were bringing shame upon their households, and they were losing their jobs because of it. And he says that, listen, when you begin to get into, that's why he says, if those who hate bribes will live, but if you, the, the greed that they had were bringing ruin and shame on their houses. Have you ever seen someone's lust for more bring destruction on their life? Maybe it can be debt they accrued, or just exhaustion, like like, sometimes what can happen, I, I see it often in our American culture, people will get a second job thinking they need it, but it's actually the reason they'll get a second job to get more money is to keep their standard of living. Because sometimes we have a standard of living. Can we be, can we be honest in church today? Is that okay? Sometimes our standard of living becomes our idol. And we think we need to work more, and then we wonder why we have strain in our marriage. We wonder, d dad ends up working more at work for more income for their family, but then he distanced himself from his kids, and God has called you to store that relationship with your kids before he's called you to earn money. I'm not saying you don't. There's times you do have to work, but what I found personally in my own life and in others, a lot of times it's because we don't want to lower our standard of living. So be careful that in this pursuit of more, we are not disrupting what God's also called us to as individuals. Sometimes people's lust for more can end up making immoral or unethical decisions. I, I, I've spoken to people who have violated their integrity 
because of a lust for more, and they kind of wondered, how did I get here? It's a trap. People don't set out thinking, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an unethical decision at work financially, right? Or you know what? I'm going to violate my integrity because I'm greedy. But see, the enemy doesn't want you to know his cards. So he'll get you just wanting more. He'll get you pushing for a higher standard of living to where that becomes the focus. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself on the other side of a breach of integrity wondering, how did I get here? It's how it works. It's how it works. Warren Wearsby says, if the heart loves material things and puts earthly gain above heavenly investments, then the result can only be tragic loss. Greed then divides our relationships as well. Proverbs 28, 25, the greedy serve conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Have you ever seen someone's desire for more put strain on their marriage, put strain on a business relationship? I was reminded last week when we were trick-or-treating uh, with our two oldest sec- several years ago. We were trick-or-treating, and both of our kids, our two oldest, Judy and Hannah, had, had, way, had way more candy than any five-year-old could ever eat. So as you know, their father wanted to save them from that tragedy, and I took a portion while they were sleeping at night, so they wouldn't know. It was their dad that took it, so we could blame their sibling, and then they would move forward. No, but they, they had all this candy. Their baskets were filled. Then all of a sudden, I see Hannah, like while Judah's not looking, she like grabbed a piece of candy from Judah's basket. Like her candy basket was full, and then Judah did the same thing. I'm watching this. And they end up getting into like a, a fight, like a verbal fight, to the point where I ended up taking a portion of their candy from them because I was like, you can't handle this. Like you have more than enough, but you're like, it's not enough. Like you want more. Now, whether or not I ate that candy that I took is still unknown. We're still trying to discover what happened. Um, but their desire for more created conflict in their relationship. And it will do the same for us. So so let's heed the words of Jesus in Luke 12, 15. Watch out, he says. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That word guard, to give you a word picture, is like someone trying to break into your house and you have a weapon ready to defend your property. He says, be on your guard. That greed is all around us. Have you ever noticed, like, the cultural narrative and gospel that more is better is everywhere? Like, you're scrolling on social media, trying to see what your friends are doing. Next thing you know, you have an advertisement, and you see a guy sitting in a brand new Jeep, and Joe looks jolly in his new Jeep. And you think, maybe I need a new Jeep, right? That thing does look good, right? Or, 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 or all of a sudden, you watch an HGTV, and you think to yourself, I need to do an addition to my house, right? You weren't thinking about an addition to your house until you saw Chip and Joanna Gaines put an addition on their house. And now you think, I need to put an addition on my house, that it's all around us, it's tempting us. Come on, I'm gonna break it down real, real practical for you. Have you ever experienced this? You go into Target, and you're like, I need toilet paper and toothpaste. We've had this, right? And you go into Target, and you walk out of there, all of a sudden you see a new iPhone cover. You got a new kitchen gadget. You already have a Keurig coffee maker, but you're like, that one's nicer. So you buy a new Keurig coffee maker. Next thing you know, you walk out of Target with 12 things, and you have spent $187.32 because you went in for toothpaste and toilet paper. That's how it works, though, right? All of a sudden, we find ourselves like it's everywhere. So Jesus said, hey, be on your guard. 
It's everywhere. It's trying to suck you in. It wants to pull you in so you end up overextending yourself. You end up putting, getting into debt that you don't need to be in. Moving into a house you shouldn't probably be living in because it's above your ability to maintain. It's putting stress upon you. Why? Because the enemy's goal is to destroy you. So be on your guard. And here's the second point. So first is to safeguard your life from greed. Second is to seek God with all of your heart. He goes on to talk about this whole idea of the eye is the lamp of the body. And if you're, if you're full of light or full of darkness, this whole idea of being filled with light, this concept is to be is to have a renewed mind or a renewed focus or a clarity of focus upon Christ. And then he concludes this kind of few verses by saying, no one can serve two masters. You'll either, you cannot serve both God and money. That word serve means to be a slave to. He says you'll either serve God or be a slave to money. Because you have to decide what, who you are going to serve. And he's kind of speaking to the contrary because here's the reality. As I mentioned earlier, you cannot pursue both. They'll be at conflict with each other. Here's the reality that the cultural gospel and the ways of our culture will eventually contradict the ways of Jesus. So you'll have to choose which way you will go. Because the cultural narrative that more is better and you should earn wealth to keep it. And, and, and again, again, God has no problem with you having it. He's got a problem when it has you. But that gospel of you keeping it, you holding on to it, and there may be times that God, that the God and the kingdom of God and the ways of Christ will cause you to give just contrary to the gospel of more in our culture. And there will come a time we're going to have to choose. See, the, the, the ways of the culture says that you obtain more to keep it, and the ways of the kingdom says you obtain wealth to give more. See, the ways of the culture says, listen, you can take advantage of a situation or people to get a little more. And the ways of the kingdom says, no, actually, what you have, you obtain more to bless more people, not to take advantage of people. See, the culture sells a gospel that says, man, once you get that more, whatever that more is for you, then you'll be content. And the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus says your contentment comes from Christ, Period. Be in contradiction. I don't know if anybody else does this. When I get into my vehicle, if I'm going somewhere, especially if it's a longer trip, I will pull up the, uh, my destination on both Apple Maps and Waze because I want to compare. Where, 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 you know, what are they recommending? What do they say about traffic? And the other day, I was leaving a meeting from Silver Spring, and I put in the, the address. I usually go with Waze, true story, because they also tell me where the cops are hiding out. Come on, somebody. And I paid Montgomery County enough money, all right? MoCo, you're done. I'm cutting you off. <laughs> they now even tell you where the, the speed cameras are. Come on, I'm like, prayer does work. Holla at your boy, Waze. If you're watching, you work for Waze, bless you. We appreciate your service to humanity. Montgomery County, take down those speed traps, okay? Sorry, I'm getting... Distracted. Um, but I, uh, I didn't realize, I started driving, and both were, like, going at the same time. And they were telling me a different direction. And at first, I was, like, confused. I'm like, what's happening? Like, they're telling me different directions. And I realized both were running. Probably a little bit crazy initially on the, on the road, because I was like, do I go straight? Do I turn right? I don't know what I'm doing. And um, I thought to myself, in the same way, that's why you cannot follow both the ways of culture of more and the ways of Jesus. 
because they'll oftentimes tell you a different way to go. Again, not always. Again, God's not against money. He's against it having, having you. So that's why he says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. If you seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things that you desire, and God will give to you in his way, in his timing, through his provision. But you got to seek first the kingdom of God, which is why it's so important that we are reading the word of God. We're spending time in the presence of God. We're spending time with the people of God. That we're, because all of it's informing us. Just a side note, be, be intentional about the media that you consume, the people that you spend the most time with. Here's why. Because, because whether or not you realize it, our culture that we live in, in the gospel of more, is forming you. Let me put it in Christian terms. It's discipling you. It's discipling you in their ways of thinking. It's discipling you in your ways of doing. And, and if you, and listen, please hear this pastorally and compassionately. This isn't, it might sound like a direct statement, but it, it's done in love. If, if, if the only time you hear the word of God is Sunday and you are spending you're consuming media every day of the week, that it may be and probably is forming you more than the ways of Jesus. If you're scrolling on social media for 45 minutes a day and you read the word of God for five minutes every two days, I'm telling you the media and culture is forming you and discipling you more than the ways of Christ. Say it to condemn you. I say it to open your eyes to realize I am being formed whether or not I realize it. And they're trying to conform you into the ways of buying their product, whatever that is that you're consuming media-wise. Just, just, just have your eyes open. Be aware of the intent. See, Proverbs 3 kind of flips it on its head in Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Instead of you honoring more, you honor God with the more. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will be brim over will fill with new wine clearly speaking to an agrarian culture this idea of first fruits is the biblical concept of tithe that the reason god instructs that old and new testament before the old testament law and and post in the time of jesus the word of the tithe is because the tithe is not about money it's about priority it's what the tithe does and the first fruits what that does is because jesus said wherever your treasure is your heart will be you are telling your heart God, Jesus, is Lord. You are telling your heart. You are setting it in motion. Jesus is Lord of my life because he's first in that which guides my heart in this life. That's what the tithe does. That's what it says, God, I'm putting you first. And please hear this lovingly and pastorally. But if you would say, Pastor, I cannot afford to tithe then that means your standard of living is too high. Because God is first above my mortgage, above my rent, above my clothes, above my kids' school, above my, above my food, above it all. Because I believe he's my provider. I believe he's Lord of my life. He's the only one who saved my soul. So I put him first. Now, I know for some of you this feels uncomfortable. And I want you to hear this, that we as a church, because I also believe this, if Catalyst is not your home church, we had a couple earlier, they were just visiting in town, they came by, Catalyst isn't your home church, then tithe to your home church, wherever that is. 
But biblically speaking, I would not be faithful to the gospel of Jesus if I did not tell you that you are called to tithe, to bring that first 10% back. That's why we as a church took steps, even just we got approval. ECFA is a third-party organization that has the highest standard of financial integrity and accountability that we as a church have been approved and are evaluated according to their standards. Do you want to know why we do that as a church? Because we know there are some churches that have mishandled money in the past, and we want no imperfect church to get in the way of you trusting God. So we are now evaluated every year. Our financials are completely open to a third-party organization because it's important about us tithing and honoring God. God cares a lot about what you do with your money. And we as a church don't want to get in the way of that. Because listen, God does not need your money. Catalyst Church does not need your money. You need to give your money because it's for your heart. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. Okay, I move on. I know some of you are uncomfortable. <laughs> Welcome to church. Martin Luther, the founder, the, the one that spurned the Protestant Reformation, says to have money and property is not sinful, provided it become not thy master, but remain thy servant and thou its master. Paul goes on to say to, to Timothy in verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6, but godliness, which means not perfection, not holiness, but devotion to God with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of the world. Paul says in this moment that we get our contentment from Christ. And here's the reality that discontentment, if we're not careful, if discontentment in our life runs its course, it can be destructive in our lives. We can overextend ourselves in ways that we're not called to because we're discontented. You know, a common thing that can happen sometimes, especially after a hard day, you know, maybe a feeling of discontentment. You might engage in some retail therapy. Come on. And then you find yourself after retail therapy. I'm still discontented. Now I just got credit. Come on. <laughs> right? Discontentment can make us do things, right? The average man in their midlife crisis spends $3,667 to somehow improve their life. I'm getting close to that midlife, so I'm guarding against that in Jesus' name. But, but, but when we look at that, we, we do these things to find contentment, but contentment can only be found in Christ. It reminded me, the other evening I went into my kitchen, and it was like 9 p.m. Now listen, I know some people say you shouldn't eat past 8 p.m., but those people are liars, okay? <laughs> They're not happy, right? Talk to them. It's like you're starving. You go to bed starving. Why, right? <laughs> Just kidding. If you say that, I'm sorry. I just disagree with you. But anyways, I walked in the kitchen, and I thought to myself, like, man, I want, I could go for some cereal right now. Well, how many know a bowl of cereal is always good? They call it a breakfast food, but it really is a breakfast, midday snack, lunch, right? Dinner, late night snack. That's actually late at night. I'm like, well, I'm close to the morning. It's kind of breakfast. <laughs> I'm starting my day. You know, biblically, the day starts in the evening, so you know, maybe it's, you know. Anyways, but I recalled a few nights earlier, I had eaten some, some cereal late at night, and then I ate it, and I realized I was, I was full, but I wasn't satisfied. 
because it was like refined carbohydrates. It wasn't really like nutritious for me. And I was like, okay. So then I ended up eating a little bit of cottage cheese and a handful of berries. And I slept like a baby, right? <laughs> so I'm having this moment in the kitchen. And I, I looked in that pantry. I said, devil, you get behind me. You stay in there. I shut that door. I got the cottage cheese and the berries. I was satisfied. But I thought to myself, in the same way refined carbohydrates does not satisfy the insatiable desire for more does not satisfy. And that what's actually nutritious for your spirit is Christ. And to actually allow your discontentment to drive you closer to Christ, spending time with him in his word, in his presence, that is what will bring contentment and peace to your, to your soul. Augustine says this, the God you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Here's the final point, and that's to store up treasures in heaven. Jesus kind of concludes Matthew 6, uh, that, that they're not concludes, but the, the, the initial um, conversation. He says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Or moth and vermin do not destroy where thieves break in and steal. There he says, you know, your, your treasures, your, your heart follows your, your treasure. So store it up in heaven. Paul said to Timothy, concluding 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God. Again, note, Paul didn't say he has a problem with wealth. He has a problem with putting your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. He says, which richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Command them now to do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous, willing to share. And this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age, i.e., treasures in heaven. So you may take hold of life, which is truly life. This moment, Paul's saying now, he concludes, he kind of begins by saying, you know, don't fall into the trap of, of greed. Then he says, find contentment in Christ. Now he's saying, now what do you do with what you have? You do good. You be generous. You live open-handed. That's when you find truly life. Store up for yourself treasures in the coming age. Here's what that means. And, and it's not even so much about the behavior, although there is behavior, because any change internally should also transform us externally. But God's not in the business of behavioral modification. He's in the business of heart transformation. So it really is a posture of your heart and your mind, meaning this, that you can go to work tomorrow and say, I am here. My contentment is in Christ, not in my success. My contentment is in Christ, not in a promotion. My contentment is in Christ, not my boss giving me a pat on the back, not my salary. Therefore, when I show up to work, I'm here to do good. I'm here to be generous with my coworkers and have a generous life, not just your finances, not just, you know, giving. But, but be generous with your words. Bless the people around you. Serve the people around you. Look for ways to do good. And Paul says that is when you will find life that's truly life. Find ways you can serve your spouse at home. Serve your children at home. Man, look every environment that God's called you in. Your work, your home, your neighborhood, your church community. Man, I am here to do good and bless others. How can I bless my coworkers today? How can I bless my spouse today? And then it gets, allow, allow God to make it real practical. It might mean you changing your, 
child's diaper. It might mean you making dinner tonight for your spouse. I'm trying to help a marriage out right now. It might be you bringing in coffee for the whole workplace. It might be whatever. But, but ask God, God, what does it mean for me to do good and be generous in every environment that I find myself in? I love what Corey Tinboom says. The measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. You know what's incredible is not only do we store up treasures in heaven, but you'll actually feel better on earth when you're generous. The Science Magazine in 2007, I love this. They did a study. They actually found that donating or giving activates neural activity in the areas of the brain that are linked to reward processing, the same areas that are activated by pleasures like eating and having sex. It stimulates. It releases the same neurochemicals. It actually, you don't want to know why? Because God designed us to live generous. That when we actually do it, it gives us pleasure because of it. So what do we do with the, the more? Because some of us, have we, you've been gifted with, with the ability to make wealth. You've been given gifts by God. Those you have, that which you have is called to be leveraged for that which will last into eternity. That's why God's given you that. That's why he's entrusted you with what you have. It's my last scripture. The worship team can come. Matthew 16, verse 25, the words of Jesus. He says, but whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can you give exchange for their soul? Have you ever seen someone's soul battered by the pursuit of more? That's what Jesus is saying. You can actually lose your soul through this process. He said, for the Son of Man, referring to himself, is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. I have an have a, a, a illustration to show you. I have someone who's going to help me with it. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, you can leave it covered for the moment. Um, but this whole idea, and I want to be clear theologically. I said it earlier, but I want to say it again. Your, your, your standing with God, where you'll spend eternity, has nothing to do with your own righteousness or morality. It's only by grace through faith in Christ, and that's good news. However, on the flip side, we, God is going to give us rewards in heaven, and each of us will have different rewards based upon how we stewarded our life here on earth. As I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 3 says, everything that will not last into eternity will be burned up in this life. I took my son Judah to Dave and Buster's uh, several months ago. If you've ever been to Dave and Buster's, I kinda, it's like an adult version of uh, Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, it's like all these like video games, and it's huge. I realized when I got there, most of the video games are probably geared towards adults. And my five-year-old son's with me. This isn't a parenting message. Um, anyways, we had fun. We, uh, and we were there. And um, so you go in, you, you kind of pay a certain amount. If you've been there, you pay a certain amount. And you get like, let's say, 30 bucks or something on your card. And you go up to the games and you scan your card and you can play the game. And different games, some of the games, not all of the games, you can earn points. So like skee-ball, you can earn points, whack-a-mole. But like there's some video games like Mario or... Jurassic Park, which I won't tell you whether or not I let him play that. 
because I don't want anybody to judge me, um, but I did. And um, I regretted it afterwards. Um, but some of the games, you just pay for the video game. You don't get any points. So then at the end of the time, you go to the store, and then you scan your card right when you get to the store, and they show up how many points you got. And then you walk around the store, and it has these different prizes with different levels of points, right? So as an example, these are all um, courtesy of the Burroughs household. Um, my children were all like, are you going to bring our toys back? I was like, I don't know. Y'all got too many. I'm like, I'm teaching about generosity, kids, okay? <laughs> Just... But like the basic gift, right? If you like, if you just showed up, right? You get like a, a, a slap bracelet, which any parents, you know, your kids have this. This will entertain your child for seven seconds. It's like this, done, right? <laughs> so you can get a slap bracelet. Um, or if you, you know, you did, you did pretty decent, you know, you, you, uh, you played well in ski ball. You can get like a Black Panther action figure. Um, pretty cool. Uh, and then they have, like, on the top shelf, they have these, like, big stuffed animals um, that you can earn, which every parent is like, please, God, no. Um, <laughs> but you can get these big stuffed animals, like, at the top. And, and then they keep going up. Like, you can even earn, like, a Nintendo Switch. But then I wonder, like, you probably spent the amount of money for a Nintendo Switch and playing games as you would for a Nintendo Switch. Anyways. Anyways, so you have these different levels of rewards that you can... You can get it, Dave and Buster. So everybody has access to the same games. And, and what matters on what points you earn is what games you play and how well you play. And I thought to myself, it's very simplistic, but it does work. We all have been entrusted with varying degrees of gifts. We all have varying degrees of, of wealth earning. And let me just say this, God will not hold you responsible for what somebody else is called to. So whatever God's gifted you with, whatever God's entrusted you, is how you will be asked to be faithful towards, right? We see in the scripture, the rich young ruler, God says, give all of your money away. And then the widow's might, she gives two mites. Both had different levels of wealth, the rich young ruler, he was calling to be faithful in a different way than he was the, the widow was faithful. So don't look at other people and say, well, I don't, I'm not. What has God called you to do? And the reality is this. We'll all, if you follow Christ, we'll all enter heaven, but we'll all have different rewards based upon what we did here on earth. And for some, you get the large stuffed animal, whatever the equivalent of that will be in heaven. We'll have different levels of rewards in heaven based upon what we did here on earth. Warren Wearsby says, what does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? It means to use all we have for the glory of God. So I wanna, I wanna ask you this question. What does it look like for you to live a life that God rewards? To live a life where you steward what God's entrusted to you, your work life, your home life, to steward the gifts God's given you, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, to use your gifts in every environment you are to serve him in that way. Whatever finances he's entrusted to you, 
How are you leveraging the wealth God's given you for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? Because one day, everything in this earth will burn up in this life called a vapor. What is for eternity is what will last.